Today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to, um, I want to show you what we did on Wednesday night here. We are starting a new series called Love Like That. And it's being led by a video series. Uh, Les Parrott is the, uh, is the, is the speaker. And um, the, way, the reason, I, I have two reasons why I want to do this today. I'm basically going to replicate what we did once tonight for two reasons. Number one, because it was such a good message, love like that, and how Les is going to take us through this over the next six weeks. And secondly, I want you to see what we do on Wednesday nights because I want you to see the value of it. Um, some were here once tonight, and for those that were here, um, you're going to get a, you're going to see it again, and I will promise you that you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be bored because I've seen this thing three or four or five times, and I get something new out of it every time I see it. So this is good, and I want to, I just want us to enjoy this today, um, and I want you to be challenged by it. And I also want to invite you to be a part of Wednesday nights because there's good things. Folks, listen to me. You need to eat more than once a week. Sunday morning is not enough. Now, I'm praying that you're getting your own personal devotion through the week. I pray you're doing that. But corporately, coming together, having fellowship, having discussion, Sunday morning is not enough. You need Wednesday nights. You need to be here because that's how important it is. So now let's listen to uh, Love Like That by Dr. Les Parrott. I'm Jermaine, and this is Love Like That. Let's be honest. How many times have you fallen short at being a good friend, a wise parent, or an understanding spouse because you didn't love the other person well? It's tough. We're bound to fail. The bar is set so high, especially if you want to love like Jesus does. And as Christians, that's exactly what we're called to do. So how do we love like Jesus? How do we love like that? Over the next six sessions, author and psychologist Dr. Les Parrott will break it down for us. We'll look at Jesus' character and the way he lived his life here on earth to get a better idea of what it would really look like to love like him. We'll see how the Holy Spirit empowers us to trade our self-centeredness for approachability, grace, and boldness so that we can love like Jesus. In this session, Les will show us how Jesus was mindfully aware of those around him. But first, listen to Devin's story of how his chaotic life made him miss out on so much. I feel that in the American culture, oftentimes we're taught to pursue the American dream, and I felt like I had found that in this corporate job after college. But at a time in my life when I felt confident to go out and start my own business, I chose to switch to freelancing. And uh, with that, though, came a constant buildup of my own pride, which caused me to put myself up on a pedestal. So often I would be focused on what can I accomplish, what can I get, what can I earn, and all these things would make myself so busy. I was so consumed, my mind was just overtaken with thoughts of this checklist, I've got to do this, 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 this. And if I get to this point where I'm free, that's when I'll have some time with God. In the absence of a salary position, in the absence of a regular paycheck, um, I felt the weight of so many different things, from bills to your regular everyday things, but also stuff like anxiety. I wasn't getting the jobs that I wanted, and things just weren't going as smoothly as I'd hoped. It started to reveal to me all these different things about even my own friends, the closest people to me, 
and how I wouldn't focus on anything that they had going on. I wouldn't be able to see what their struggles were because I was so distracted by my own need and my own problems that I was turning away from them. I was turning away from my ability to talk to them or to help them. And what happened was God really took me back to my knees to say, hey, I, this isn't working. Slow down. Just take a moment to breathe. Take a moment to be with me and let me encourage you throughout your day. When I started spending daily communion with him and actually reading in his word and trying to learn and see what he has to teach me, it opened my eyes to a new perspective to see the way he's moving in others' lives as well. He started to show me, hey, this person's dealing with this or this person's struggling with that or this person's family member is ill. How can you encourage those people? And God's given me opportunities to act on that, to step into the lives of my friends and my family and my community. And that's been one of the coolest things to get to sit back and learn and see God moving and I'm thankful that God has opened up my eyes to that. The greatest challenge Jesus ever gave any of us was to love like he did. In John 13, he says, love one another in the same way I love you, love one another. Are you kidding me? How are you supposed to do that? And then the apostle Paul in Ephesians says, observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then this tiny little sentence he says, love like that. How? How in the world are you supposed to love like that? The bar is set so high, right? Are you kidding me? Walk the extra mile, turn the other cheek. How do we love like Jesus? This has been a question that has puzzled me literally for decades. Uh, and I've been on a quest to discover how can I get anywhere closer in practical terms to loving like Jesus. For more than 25 years, I have taught at the university level and one of my favorite courses as a psychologist to teach is general psych. It's freshmen generally and, and they come in and they're wide-eyed and. And one of my favorite lectures begins with a video. They have no idea what's about to happen. It's a video and I give them a little challenge because it's two teams. One is in uh, black shirts, another in white shirts. They're playing basketball. They're just throwing the ball to and fro. And, and I'll ask them, make note of how many times the team passes the ball. That's your goal. We play the video. It's just a couple of minutes. It closes out. I come back in front of the group and I say, so how many of you spotted the gorilla? <laughs> they look around like, are you, have you lost your mind? What are you talking about, gorilla? Well, uh, they're all stunned to discover, as I replay the tape, that a guy right in the middle of all this ball tossing comes in in a gorilla suit, beats his chest in front of the camera straight on for a good three, four, five seconds and walks off frame. <laughs> they can't believe it. The class goes crazy. You have, this has got to be another video that you showed us. Well, it isn't, not at all. In fact, what happens in this very well-documented study that started at Harvard University by a couple of psychologists, it showed us that we often don't see what's right in front of us. Researchers call it perceptual blindness. Let me illustrate this. Take a look at this image. The person that you're seeing may not be the same person that someone next to you is seeing. Some of you are seeing an older woman, and some of you are seeing a younger woman. Take a closer look. We'll leave it on the screen for a few more moments. You see the difference? 
The one that you tend to see first has to do with what we call your perceptual set. In other words, if you spent most of your day with your grandparents, you're far more likely to see the older woman. If you've been around college students all day, far more likely to see the younger woman. It's your perceptual set. Well, this is true for everything we see. It can't help but to influence our perception of things. Well, we do the same thing about people. Oh, that person, he's in that situation because of poor decisions that he made, or this person could never achieve anything because of X, Y, Z. We draw conclusions about people and it becomes part of our perceptual set. It's almost as if sometimes we are wearing mirrored sunglasses with the lenses flipped around and we look out at the world and other people and all we see is a reflection of our own perceptions of them. Maybe not reality. It's because of our agendas. Everybody has an agenda about everything. You have an agenda about what you're going to be doing after this session ends. You have an agenda about what your next meal is going to be. We have agendas for everything. And that's what keeps us focused on ourselves. But if you want to love like Jesus, you've got to see beyond your own agendas, beyond your own perceptual set, and notice what maybe you haven't been seeing. Jesus was an expert at this. Do you know in the New Testament it says Jesus saw, those two words, Jesus saw more than 40 times. And, and one of the times that he saw something that nobody else was seeing was when he was passing through this town and encountered this man that everybody despised. I mean, this guy, nobody liked him. He was kind of hiding out in the trees, but Jesus, because it was so exciting, Jesus was coming through town, all these people were gathered around the roadside. And in the midst of all this kind of chaos and commotion, Jesus uttered a word, Zacchaeus. And everybody was stunned, especially the man with that name. And Jesus called him out, and he was despised because he was a tax collector. He was taking advantage of people, and, and nobody liked him. And Jesus recognized something. Maybe it was in his eyes or his face. Maybe he'd heard a reputation. But Jesus recognized that Zacchaeus wanted a different way of living. And uh, you know the rest of this story. If you've been going to church since you were a little kid, you've heard this story. And uh, Zacchaeus eventually gave back uh, multiple times what he had taken from other people because of this incredible transformation, maybe the most radical transformation in the entire New Testament. Jesus was a masterful teacher, and he gave us many lessons on how to see what we don't necessarily see. And I think the one that stands out the most for me and the one that I highlighted in this chapter of the book is the Good Samaritan. You know the story. I won't repeat it here, but it is such a, an incredibly famous story. Even people that don't read the Bible know the phrase, the Good Samaritan, right? There's something that was so fascinating about the whole prospect of being able to help somebody, maybe that we wouldn't be inclined to help, that two psychologists at Princeton University did a, a landmark study when they uh, actually had seminary students uh, prepare to give remarks on that very story in a building across campus and they would send them across campus and they would ensure as part of their experiment that they would encounter somebody an actor playing the part between them and that building where they were headed that would be down and out that would be groaning that would be obviously in need of help and they wanted to know if they were studying that story, would they stop and actually lend that kind of help? Would they see the person in need or just be oblivious to it? Well, incredibly, what they discovered is the vast majority 
would just completely ignore that person. And here they were studying the very parable they were on their way to teach. Sometimes we just don't see what's right in front of us. And here's the hard truth. Loving like Jesus isn't efficient. It takes time away from our busy, agenda-driven pace. But if you want to love like Jesus, you got to see what others don't. So what about you? Who do you identify with most in the parable of the Good Samaritan? I have to admit that my agenda-driven nature would most likely kind of look the other way. i got to be honest. I cringe at the thought that I might actually step over a person in pain to get where I'm going because I have a strong agenda. But in all honesty, that just might be me. At least it's me until I put my self-focus in abeyance and see what's blatantly obvious right in front of me. It's me until I set aside my own agenda to become less self-absorbed. It's me until I clear my head enough to be mindful. It's me until I quiet my spirit enough to hear God's whisper. The hard truth, once again, loving like Jesus, it's not efficient. It takes time away from our agenda-driven pace. There's no doubt about it and no way around it. But when you still your mind enough to sense God, you begin to see what others don't. And that's how you love like that. Sometimes we don't see what is right before our eyes. But Les reminded us that Jesus truly saw people and recognized what was below the surface. If we want to love like that, it will take getting our eyes off ourselves. What about you? Are you mindful of the people around you? Or does your busy agenda keep you from seeing their needs? Take some time to think about who God has placed in your life and consider how the Holy Spirit is leading you to love them. See you next time. Let's talk about this for a few minutes. Remember uh, Devin's story? Did you pick up on Devin's story? How how much of a self-driven person that he was. And there's nothing wrong with being self-driven. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But do you see yourself at all in his self-paced life that he was so busy taking care of his own issues that he couldn't see the people around him that were, even, that were important to him, even his own family? He just looked over him. He looked over others that had needs. And not just the needs, but even the celebrations of other people's lives. It's not that to love like Jesus is just to be there to help a person out, but maybe it's there to celebrate with a person. Maybe it's there to cheer them on. Maybe it's there to cry with them. Maybe it's you just to be there and say, I'm sorry, I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm just going to be here with you. I'm just going to be your friend. But if we get so busy in our own life, so preoccupied with our own desires that we miss it, I'm guilty of it, and I'm assuming maybe you are as well to some degree. So that was a good lesson for me. And, and I had to watch it three or four times to really to pick up on some of the nuances in Devin's story. But, man, it is just the American way of life. It's the American dream. We're just chasing our dreams so much that we forget people. So how do we love like Jesus? Are we too busy and are we too preoccupied with our own life to see people the way, the way Jesus does? When you look at a person, how do you see them? How do you see a person? Are you seeing your perception of the person? What you perceive them to be? Maybe you're seeing their reputation. 
Maybe they come with a reputation, and so when you see that person, all you're seeing, or the first thing that you see is what, they're, what you've heard about them. Oh, that person has that reputation. That person is that way. Maybe that taints your perception of them in a positive or negative way. Sometimes we give people too much credit because they have a good reputation, and sometimes it gives them, we give them negative credit because they have a poor reputation, and so therefore we put ourselves above them. Sometimes a person is so good we can't come up to their level, so, we don't, so we're, we're afraid of them because they intimidate us because they have a good reputation. I think the problem is that Jesus wants us to see each other as people. Because when he looks at us, he doesn't see one versus the other. He sees us all at the same level. We're all level at the foot of the cross, aren't we? It doesn't make any difference if I'm the best evangelist or the worst evangelist. <laughs> I'm still the level person. I'm still, Jesus is still looking at me eye to eye. And, you know, that came to me. I'm a bus driver. I drive school bus. And, and there's something special about sitting in a bus driver's seat when little kids get on the bus and you're looking at them eye to eye. How often? When was, when was the last time you looked at a kindergartner eye to eye? Most of the time you're looking down at them. Most of the time you're looking down at their hair, at their hair, their head, the back of their head. But how often do you sit down and look at a kindergartner eye to eye? It is an interesting experience to see little people that way because they have such an innocent, innocence about them and it's sad that they have to come from such poor circumstances sometimes, but that little child is special. When you can look at a kindergartner, those little kids eye to eye, it's a special thing. And that kind of gives me a feeling for the way Jesus looks at us. He bends down and he looks at us eye to eye. And he sees us the way we really are. He's not looking at my reputation. Thank God he's not looking at my reputation, right? Sometimes we look at people the way we want to see the person. We want to see them in a good way or we want to see them in a negative way because of some circumstances in our life. And here's, I think, the most important thing. I think what we really need to do is try to look at the context of the person because no matter who the person is, nobody, I don't have any idea, before you walked into the church today, I don't know what your day was like. Maybe you were having a really bad day today. Maybe you were struggling because you're not feeling well. Maybe you're struggling because you, get, you, you received some bad news last night before you went to bed. Maybe you have a family member that's out of town that's sick or maybe somebody died in your life or something happened or, or maybe things are great and maybe you are just on top of the world. And the, con the, the, the context of the person is so important that when we see a person, rather than judging them initially to say, oh, they're worth it or they're not, maybe we need to step back and say, I have no idea what they're going through. And maybe what they need is a friend. Maybe they need somebody to come alongside them and say, how you doing? How you feeling? Are you feeling okay? Or how can I celebrate with you? Or if I see a smile on their face, can I be really honest with you? Sometimes if I see a smile on somebody's face and they're really doing well, it makes me jealous. And I don't want to celebrate with them. Because I'm in the Mully Grubs and I like it. And nobody's going to take me out of it. And neither are you. No, you're having a good day. You have your good day someplace else. I'm fine over here. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I can see the context of the person, and if I can let them either help me get out of my mully grubs, or if I can be above theirs and help them get out of theirs, that's what people are for. That's the way Jesus sees people. 
And that's the way he wants us to see people. He read Ephesians chapter 5. You have it on your paper. In the message, it says it this way, watch, watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. What's I, what I find interesting is that Jesus speaks of love as a command. We think of love as a feeling. I can't command my feelings very well. Can you command your feelings? Go back when you were a young person and you had your first puppy love and you were so love-struck, with, so infatuated with Billy or Joey or Brenda. I don't care who it was. But you were so, you were so love-struck that you, you couldn't even eat. You, were, you lost your appetite. Does anybody remember that? Come on, really? I can remember it. I was so, when I first started to date my wife, I'm telling you, I, it just changed me. I, was, I couldn't think the same way because I was so in love. I was so infatuated. Maybe infatuated is a better word because love comes later. But that kind of a feeling is hard to command. To get through that, to get above that is difficult. So if Jesus is saying, love people like I love people, can I tell you that it's not a feeling, it is an action. We command our actions. We struggle with our, our feelings. And many times, the reason why people get into problems, the reason why many marriages get into problems and they fail, is because people start letting their love be dictated by their feelings rather than their actions. So if God says love like this, he's giving us a command to love, not with our feelings, but with our mind and with our intellect and with our actions. And when I can learn what love is like that, my feelings will come afterwards. The problem is we get confused with who our identity is. We, we allow our identity to come in our feelings. That's the biggest problem why we're having gender, relation is gender issues today in school and every place else because people are forgetting who, who they are. And they're letting their feelings create, uh, give them an identity rather than their identity as who they are created to be like Christ. When I know that I'm created in the image of God, my identity is in Christ and Him alone. And my feelings are under my command at that time, and my actions are certainly under my command. And I don't let my feelings dictate who I am in my identity. That is so important that God, if He commands us to love, obviously we can do it. Otherwise, He wouldn't command it. It doesn't make sense that God would command something of you that you couldn't do. It may be a challenge, and it may be hard work, but you can do it. I can do it when I allow the Holy Spirit to come in and give me the ability to do it. I don't do it on my own right, because I can't. Mike's not that strong, but the Holy Spirit in Mike is. And the Holy Spirit in Margaret is, and Nancy, and every one of you. The Holy Spirit is that strong in you to love like that. Now, on Wednesday nights, we often have discussion. And I like, that's the part I like. I, it's not a lecture. Wednesday nights are not, I'm not, not lecturing you on Wednesday nights. So we would have a discussion. 
and we would have conversation about this, and this is something that um, takes a little bit of time. We've got 10 minutes left, um, and, and I would welcome you to come on Wednesday and be part of our conversation. Jesus sees the truth in people, and he does it without a bias or without a predisposition. And that's something that we need to ask the Holy Spirit for as well. That when I talk to you, I'm really listening to you. And I'm listening to the Holy Spirit to drop some insights that he wants me to have to help you. You know, it's so interesting that the Holy Spirit never gives me an insight or never gives anybody an insight to hurt you. I want you to know that. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, you're on my heart and I want to pray with you or how you doing or hey, I'm seeing something in you that may be I'm concerned about, if they're truly loving you, which they should be if they're saying things like that, they're not coming to hurt you. They're coming to help you break through. Like today in our worship set today, we had to press through a little bit. We had to kind of break through the barrier a little bit. It's because when the Holy Spirit tells us some things and whispers some things to us, it's for the betterment of the people. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the Good Samaritan story? Think about that one when you go home today. Think about that. Where do you see yourself in the Good Samaritan story? That's worth a lot of thought. It's worth a lot of pondering. Where do I see myself? And Father, can I see myself as the Good Samaritan and not the priest that passed by? Help me, Jesus. And I think that the most important thing here that we'll end with today, I like what he said, but I don't like what he said because it's true and it hurts, and that is that when you love like Jesus, it's inefficient. Think about it. You have a productive day planned. You have your schedule all put in front of you. You have everything lined up, what you have to get done today. And all of a sudden, something happens, and Jesus says, ho, 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 I got something else for you, and it's going to mess up your plans. Love like Jesus is inefficient because it's going to mess you up. And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to allow the Lord to mess you up? Or are you going to say, no, God, I've got an agenda. I've got a plan. I've got to get this done. Really? Is there something really that important that you have to get done that you don't have time to, for the Lord to intervene, to the Holy Spirit to interrupt a little bit and say, yeah, I got something more important for you? Do you think the Holy Spirit really has something less important for you to do than what you have to do? <laughs> see, when we see it that way, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? But when we look at the efficiency of living, and here's the, way, here's the challenge I want to give to this church. We are concerned about our finances. We're concerned about our growth. We're concerned about our numbers. We're concerned we're not, that doesn't, that's not our identity. Our identity's in Christ, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. But, you know, as we talk about growing this body, the Lord really placed on my heart this week as I was preparing for Wednesday, then today, to challenge the people with this and say, we are not going to grow this church with programs. We are not going to grow this church by establishing a ministry, uh, an official ministry of um, a clothing pantry like we used to have or a food pantry like we used to have or uh, a breakfast or anything that's going to be an official program. The way we're going to grow this church is if you and I are in charge 
of our own evangelism. We're going to grow this church when we love like Jesus. When you're the CEO and you're the CFO and you're the chief marketing director and you're the chief salesperson and you're the chief uh, uh, bottle washer of your life, of your ministry, because each one of us has a personal ministry, and when we are effective in our personal ministry, this church will grow because this church will grow outside of the four walls. That's how I love like Jesus. We have to recognize one very important thing, and that is that there's going to come a day when I stand before the Lord and I give an account of my life. He's not going to say, okay, center point assembly, everybody come in as a body, and I'm going to judge you as a body of what did you do with your time. How did you build your church center point? We're not judged that way. He says, Mike, come here. I want to talk to you. Greg, I want to talk to you. Dan, I want to talk to you. Dave. Chris, it doesn't make any, I want to talk to you. Let's talk about your life. And we're going to say, oh, but, but we were a part of Centerpoint. He says, I don't care about Centerpoint. I don't care about the food ministry that you had. I don't care about that program. I'm talking about you. What did you do for me? What did you do with Jesus? How did you live like Jesus? How did you love like Jesus? He really doesn't care about my church at that point in time. So if I could recognize that today, and if I could see myself being judged that way and rewarded that way, it's going to change the way I walk and I talk and I act every day with the people that I'm around. Because you are unique in the fact that you have a relationship with people that nobody else has. Nobody else can get in your shoes and walk and have that level of influence that you have with the people that are in your life, in your family, in your job, in your school, wherever you're at. You're unique, and God has you placed there for a specific ministry of evangelizing the lost. That's loving like Jesus loved. That's the challenge that we need to have as a church. That's the challenge that you need to have, I need to have as a person, so that when I do stand before him someday, I don't have to be afraid. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, and I'm not putting that kind of pressure on you. Don't say it. Don't, don't go there. I'm just asking you to be better than you are today. I'm asking you to stretch yourself a little bit. When the Lord says pray, pray. If he says go to somebody and give them a hand, give them a hand. If you've got to get down dirty with somebody, get down dirty with them a little bit. Do what you've got to do. Be Jesus. Amen. Father, I thank you today for your mercy and your grace. I thank you, Jesus, for how you met us today in our worship time and in our praise time and in our prayer time. I thank you, Father, for breaking through for us today. And I pray, God, that you would protect us. For those that had a breakthrough today, I pray, God, that you would send your angels around them and protect them and do not let the enemy come back and steal from them today. But let that seed get planted in deep soil, fertile soil, good soil, and let it take root. And let it grow. And let there be good fruit, I pray. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for loving us so much. And I give you praise and I give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Come back Wednesday. Be blessed.